0: Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, the nature, the world that you've given us, all the resources that you've provided us to live, and most of all, the beauty that you've put around us, Lord. Even in the fallen state, your creation is also glorious. And Lord, we thank you now for the opportunity to come before you in worship, we thank you for this church, this holy convocation, this gathering on your Sabbath day. And we ask you to please send your holy angels and your Holy Spirit to join us to help us to understand your truths, to unfold your word once again. Show us the truths about prophets and whether the prophets will be given to us at the end of time. Lord, please be with us and keep us safe today. We ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thursday night, we talked about God's end time church. We learned from the Bible that God had raised up a church or has raised up a church for the end of time. We learned that this church would follow the Bible and the Bible only, amen? The church would follow the Lamb wherever He leads and would reject the traditions of men. We learned that this church would be a worldwide movement proclaiming God's three angels message, that message of judgment and the soon coming of the Lord. The church would also restore God's law to its rightful place, prominence in its church. We learned that the Seventh-day Adventist church is such a church, amen? Met all the tests, we covered it from the Bible. Revelation chapter 14 tells us that God has an end-time message. We discovered Thursday night that if God has an end-time message, And he has an end-time people. That end-time people should be proclaiming that end-time message, amen? And in verse 6, Revelation 14, 6, that message is described, and it refers to it as the everlasting gospel. The good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The belief that he has paid the price for our sins and that we have access to heaven. Through his sacrifice. You see, God's church will proclaim the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, which is the everlasting gospel. What's contained in that everlasting gospel message? Remember that judgment warning. The judgment has come. The hour of judgment has come. But we also see in that end time message a warning against receiving the mark of the beast. God's call to remember the seventh day Sabbath and to keep it holy, the everlasting gospel. We also talked about where this church should be proclaiming this everlasting gospel. As I said Thursday night, there's lots of churches that just exist on one street corner or in one town, even in one county, one state. But according to the Bible, God's end-time church has to be a worldwide movement. In fact, we saw in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, that's where God says this end-time message must be proclaimed, this everlasting gospel. According to the word of God, that message must go to the whole world, which means the remnant church of the end of time, has to be a worldwide movement, according to the Word of God. It can't exist in pockets here and there. It must be committed. Its mission must be to take the message to every person in the world before the Lord returns. There's another very important point. Turn to Revelation chapter 12, page 1182. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So the book of Revelation tells us that this remnant is going to keep the commandments of God. We just talked about that in our question and answer. And they will have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we reviewed this on Thursday, but in case you weren't there, the Bible will tell us, what is this testimony of Jesus Christ? As always, we let the Bible interpret itself. Amen? Turn to Revelation chapter 19, just to the right. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's the testimony of Jesus? Spirit of prophecy, according to the Bible. It's another way of saying the gift of prophecy. God's end-time church will have the gift of prophecy. So the question is, like somebody asked early in the series, are there prophets now? Is the gift of prophecy even relevant today in God's church? When you look over the world today, men and women are searching for certainty, amen? Searching for truth. That's why you came to these meetings. I I am sure God stirred you. You wanted to hear from the Bible. People are looking for assurance. There's an explosion of interest in psychic phenomena today. People are searching. They're seeking for answers outside of themselves. They're seeking to external sources. But the problem is, is that much of this search has led them down some very dangerous pathways. The reason that that's happened, though, is important. They want answers. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. The Lord expects us to search for answers. They want answers outside of themselves, They have become confused, though, with all the outside stimulus. People want to find a way to touch the divine. They're seeking for some way to experience the supernatural. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew speaks to this very phenomenon. Actually, it's Jesus in... In the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to tell us. He's going to say, yeah, I know that this phenomena is going to happen. People are going to seek for answers. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Jesus is actually going to warn us against a counterfeit in his church. Page 960. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The Bible says... That there will be false prophets, false Christs. And it goes so far as to say, they're going to show great signs and wonders. You wouldn't be deceived if there weren't, right? Or less likely to be deceived. These signs are going to claim, these people, these prophets, so-called Christs, are going to claim that they can put you in touch with the divine. They're actually going to claim to be the divine, some of them. They will claim that they can give you supernatural answers. But the Bible tells us they're false. False Christs and false prophets. Jesus goes on in his description. He says, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. This is in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves." It says these false prophets are going to come in. They're going to look good. They're going to sound good. Ravenous wolves it means they're going to be dangerous. And Jesus himself says, beware of false prophets. Now, my friends, anytime Jesus tells us to do something or not do something or look for something or beware of something, we should take his advice, amen? So this is something right away that should grab our... De- Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, which means what? There are false prophets. Jesus himself wouldn't tell us to worry about them if they weren't going to be out there. But on the flip side of that, if Jesus tells us to wait and look out for false prophets, does that tell us something? Yeah, it tells us that there's going to be true prophets. Wouldn't warn us against, why would you need a false prophet? You see, my friends, nobody counterfeits something that doesn't have an original. If there is a counterfeit prophet, there must be true prophets. Meeting number 23. I told you I'd get it in in every meeting. The theme. We have chosen this theme for a reason. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. We do not want to be deceived. Amen? And when people put forward ideas that contradict the Bible... Right away, we should know their faults. Right? Sounds good, but we kind of run into trouble on that one, don't we? Well, isn't there some gray area there, Dan? Wasn't that Bible written just for a time? It's not what the Bible tells us. But people have twisted that in the church, even. That's why we've chosen this theme. If there are false prophets, as I said, there must also be true prophets. But how do we know, how do we tell the difference? By the Bible. The Bible. You see, my friends, God's Spirit brings the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there are many gifts of the Holy Spirit, amen? And they're just as important today as they've always been. And one of those gifts of the Spirit is the gift of prophecy. How can we know the genuine gift of prophecy? There's dangers involved in this, isn't there? One of the dangers is following after all of the Gene Dixons or the Nostradamuses that come along who are believed by some people to have a certain gift. However, they're not genuine prophets in any way. Not according to the Bible. But I tend to think that most of us aren't going to fall for the Nostradamus-type prophet. Some people might. But my friends, we've run into many people maybe you've experienced. They stand up in church, and they say, I've got a message from you from God. Here's a prophecy for you. It's very common in many churches, and getting more common every day. We have people all over the world running around saying they're Jesus. I talked about this in an early meeting. Millions of people following them. I'm still trying to figure out why Jesus needs to travel around in a private jet, but that's a whole other discussion. Friends might tell you at church last night, we had a prophet that came to speak to us. My friends, don't ever go tell somebody that I (laughs) was a prophet and spoke to you. I'm just a preacher. I'm just sharing other people God's word. But how do you tell the genuine from the phony? How do we tell the difference? What does the Bible teach about the genuine gift of prophecy? Could it be that the reason the devil, devil counterfeits this prophetic gift is because God has a genuine? I'd say absolutely. I'd say that's the only reason. Remember, Satan tries to counterfeit all things that God does. Tries to counterfeit. Some things he can't. but Some things he does a pretty good job of. So does Scripture teach that there will be a manifestation of a genuine gift of prophecy in the last days of earth's history? Does prophecy tell us that? Does Scripture tell us that? Or does Scripture teach as many complain or claim that the gift of prophecy Ceased at the end of the Bible writer's time. I've had many people tell me the last prophet was John. Once he done writing the book of Revelation, prophecy was done. Anybody ever heard that? A few of you? So do we not have prophets at the end of time, or do we? Should the church today expect spiritual gifts? to be operative in the church at the end of time? And if so, how in the world do we tell the difference between the true and the counterfeit? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, page 1126. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore he says when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So when Jesus ascended on high he led captive captive or captivity captive and he gave what to men? Gifts. He gave gifts to men. Now my friends, if Jesus gave us gifts, you want in on those? I do. I want whatever he's offering. What were the spiritual gifts that only Christ himself could give? As I said, whatever that gift is, I indeed want it. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 continues in describing them in verse 11 and 12. Therefore, he says, When he has ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And here's where the gift of, that he lists in Ephesians he lists five specific gifts. That he would put in the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Jesus tells us some would be teachers. Now let me ask you a question. Do we need good biblical teachers in the church today? Amen. What about pastors? Do we need good pastors that preach God's word faithfully Absolutely. Apostles. Apostles are divine administrators. Do we today need divine administrators that believe God's word and are praying men of faith? Absolutely. What about evangelists? Evangelists. Those who can preach God's word and see people come to Christ And help them to understand God's word. We need those? Absolutely. What about this gift of prophecy? Prophets. Is this a gift that God will restore in his church at the end of time? Or how long would these gifts remain in the church? What would they be used for? What's the purpose of these gifts? The Apostle Paul continues. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose of those gifts. The work of ministry. Not to sit in church and just absorb it and suck it up for yourself. Well, I'm preaching that myself here too. Paul says, no, no. These gifts are given to the church to equip the saints to do ministry go to work, to teach, to empower. So God is going to put spiritual gifts in his church, and those gifts are going to include the gift of prophecy. He will bless his church with visions and dreams. In fact, this is what Scripture says. Jesus gave these gifts to the church to strengthen it, to accomplish its mission of proclaiming the gospel to the world. As I said, he didn't give it to the church so we could just enclose ourselves and have a nice little club. He gave us this to spread the everlasting gospel to the whole world. In fact, you will find that the churches that are doing that, he pours out more of those gifts. He gives them more. He pours out blessings upon them not that he loves them more, but they're doing what he's asked them to do. I'm going to keep empowering it. Those churches that aren't, he's got to drag them along. He's got to speak to their hearts. It's a little bit slower process. My friends, the church needs these gifts to challenge the enemy head on. It's spiritual warfare. How long would these gifts remain in the church? Back to my point when some people say, well, yeah, the church had the spirit of prophecy, but it ended it." John. Would they be taken away? What does the Bible say? Back in Ephesians chapter 4, this time verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So are we all there? Don't need the gifts anymore? (laughs) Please spiritual gifts would be in the church to bring that church to spiritual maturity. To bring it to the full knowledge of Jesus until that day that Christ would come again. Amen? Why? Paul continues, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Jesus is telling us that he has given his church these gifts so they can know who he is, discern between the true Christ-centered faith versus the deceptions that Satan has brought into the church and the traditions of men. That's why we got these gifts. That's why the church has been empowered with them. So Jesus, when he ascended to heaven... He said to the earthly church, I'm going to give you gifts. And I'm going to place my gifts in the church. In the church. And one of those gifts will be the gift of prophecy. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1099. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the church, waiting for the coming of Christ, would come behind in no gift. End time church. God will give all the gifts the Bible says that that church would come behind in no gift. So, my friends, if you are looking for truth, if you're looking for God's true people on earth, if you're looking for the body of Christ on earth, we need to find a church that is eagerly waiting for the second coming of Christ. Amen? So it must be an Adventist church. Oh, wait a minute, Dan. It, doesn't, it has to have that name on the sign. Adventist means looking forward to the soon coming of our Lord. Amen? If you're eagerly waiting for the coming of Christ, you're an Adventist. A church that longs to see Jesus come. A church that is focused on the soon and glorious return of our Lord. It also must be a Bible-based church. A grace-filled church. That preaches the precious blood of Christ. And that salvation is only available through grace. The church must be based on sola scriptura. The Bible and the Bible only. It must preach salvation by faith in the grace of God. Amen? We need to find a church that leads to obedience of the commandments. Which is also a Sabbath-keeping church. This church must be law-abiding, which includes the Sabbath. Amen? Again, we spent a bunch of time in the question on that. This body, this Bible-believing group of believers, must also expect and anticipate that the gift of prophecy would be restored to this church. Amen? Amen? According to the Bible, if it doesn't have the gift of prophecy, it would come behind in one gift. Remember? What did Paul say? God's church would come behind in no gifts. The Bible says that the church that's waiting for the coming of Jesus should come behind in no gift. So we should anticipate that Jesus is going to give his last day church the gift of prophecy. Amen? Amen? My friends, Jesus promised his end time church that they would have the gift of prophecy. If we love Jesus, if we trust Jesus, we must accept his promise that his church will have the gift of prophecy. See, Jesus promised the gift of prophecy would be revived in the last days. Maybe that's the reason why in our world today we are seeing an explosion of interest. An astrology, and occult. Remember, Satan knows the word of God, and he knows prophecy better than any of us. He knew that Jesus said that the gift of prophecy would be poured out at the end of time, and he counterfeits, right? When this starts to happen, I need to offer a, comp- a competing view. Deception. Competition. Two great dangers. The first danger is that we accept the counterfeit. You see, my friends, millions of people wanting a supernatural experience are quick to accept a false supernatural experience because they want it so bad. Remember the night I talked about death? And I said, if in your heart the deepest thing you want to see is your dead grandma, Satan will show you your dead grandma, what appears to be your dead grandma. If you want it so bad, careful. Satan will be glad to give it to you. That second danger is to become so skeptical of all these false manifestations that we reject everything. Out of hat, we just, no, I'm not going to believe in any prophecy. And then we end up missing the genuine. Is it possible to become so cautious? Become so afraid of any church that claims it has the gift of prophecy? In fact, my friends, there's this question we need to answer. How can we tell the difference between the true and the false? That's been the heart of my discussion. How can we discern? My friends, there is a way to detect the counterfeit gift of prophecy. Whenever we have a question, where do we turn? Our Bibles. Bibles. In fact, the Bible gives us six tests for the genuine gift of prophecy. And once you understand these biblical tests, you will be able to spot a counterfeit miles away. Turn to Numbers chapter 12. Page 137. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, then he said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So God uses two ways to communicate with biblical prophets, according to God himself. First, an angel will bring them a vision or a dream. While that prophet sleeps, God might send him or her a dream, and they see or hear a message from God. Or the prophet may be awake and see a vision. There's a second way that God communicated with these biblical prophets. He impresses their mind by his Holy Spirit. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Page 1144, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Where does Scripture come from? God and God alone. How much of the Scripture? All. Which means men who were moved by God wrote down what God wanted them to write down. Everybody clear on that? Remember we talked about it in a question last week. Well, isn't this a book that man wrote down? Well, yeah, they wrote it down. But it was inspired by God. He impressed the message to them. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Page 1166. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice I underlined it on purpose. Prophecy never came. Anybody that says, I went out and I forced a, pro- uh, a vision on myself, <laughs> people say, you'll hear prophets, people that claim to be prophets say that. Says, and the Bible says you can't do that, <laughs> it's not by the will of man. God will move in his time with his message through whoever he chooses to move through. My friends, this is an absolute word, and it means that true prophecy only comes from God. So there's two ways, a vision or a dream, or God impresses the mind with the Holy Spirit, and the prophet begins to write out that impression. Here's one that I had a question about out in the foyer after one night. Not all of God's prophets are Bible writers. Agabus was called a prophet in the book of Acts. Is there a book of Agabus? No. John the Baptist was the most famous prophet in the New Testament. Amen? No book in the Bible written by him. Does it make them less of a prophet? No. What's the difference between Bible writers and these other true prophets? Well, first of all, they're both inspired by God. The prophets whose writings are included in the Bible have a message that is eternal in time and universal in scope. That's why they were put in the Bible by God. It was a, a message that would apply to all people. As I said, I had a question about this topic previously. True prophets whose writings are not in the Bible have a message from God for the church at that particular point of time. Still from God, but it's a directed message to that point of time. Here's one. Were there women prophets? Absolutely. In the Old Testament, Deborah was a prophetess. Huldah was a prophetess. And in the New Testament, we read about the seven daughters of Philip who were all prophetesses. So what are the tests? I mentioned six of them, didn't I? How do we tell the true from the false? As I said, God gives us six tests in His Word. If He wants us to know that a prophet is from Him, would we expect him to give us the ability to tell if they're from him? Absolutely. First of all, prophetic accuracy. When a prophet makes a prediction that is not conditional on the repentance of people, the true prophet is accurate 100% of the time. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 28. Page 759. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So what's God telling us here? That if the prophet's prediction is accurate, then you can know they're a true prophet. You don't want somebody bringing a message from God who's right 50% of the time. Well, wait a minute, Dan. If I bat 300 in baseball, I'm doing good. Not according to the word of God. Not when you're gauging prophets. According to the Bible, they need to be right all of the time. Jeremiah chapter 28 makes it clear that accuracy is important. Oh, wait a minute, Dan. I know of a prophet that was wrong. Well, those are conditional prophecies. What is a conditional prophecy? These prophecies are conditioned upon another condition. If you don't repent, this will happen. We see those throughout the Bible. Jonah is a good example of a prophet who made a conditional prophecy. Remember, he told Nineveh the city would be destroyed unless they repented. Was the city destroyed? Why not? They met the condition. They repented. They repented so they were spared. But my friends, Jonah was still a true prophet. Is this logical? Amen. If a prophet is not 100% accurate, let's say the prophet is only 50% accurate. Would you really take that to say, well, God's only right half the time? Well, that's what happens when we start accepting prophets that aren't right all of the time. By default, we don't think of it this way, but by default we're saying, well, God's not right all of the time. Really? How do you call that God? My friends, false prophets can only guess at what God knows. God's true prophets are accurate because God does not confuse the message. God's true prophets are not accurate 60% of the time, not 30% of the time, not 16% of the time. The next test of a prophet, biblical faithfulness. A true messenger from God will lead people back to the Bible. They will not come to you and tell you something that contradicts the Bible. My friends, this is one of the easiest test that we seem to throw out. That prophet that I just talked about in Africa. He's Jesus. Really, what happened to that second coming message that's in the Bible? Did I miss? I was distracted and I missed that glorious coming. That's not biblical. Biblical. Bible prophets don't rise to tell you what movie star is going to be married for the fifth time or how to make lots of money. (laughs) Notice this passage. Tune to Deuteronomy chapter 13. It's where we were earlier, back in Deuteronomy, this time in chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If there rises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, And he gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. He says, notice If the Lord, if this messenger tells you something and it comes to pass, but that thing he tells you contradicts the Bible, sirens need to go off. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It contradicts the Bible. My friends, this passage is extremely significant. Most people think that if a prophet makes a prediction and it comes true, that they must automatically be a spokesman spokesperson for God. It's not what the Bible says. The text says if the so-called prophet is not leading a person to the word of God to be faithful to Scripture, they are blatantly false. In fact, run from them. Because they're going to deceive you. There's an old saying, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. You see, a true prophet of God is not lifting themselves up. They're not in it to get rich. They're not talking about Hollywood or Wall Street. They should be about drawing people to Jesus Christ. And if someone bringing a message from God will uphold the law of God, that should be a true prophet too, right? If uh, if they're bringing you a message and it doesn't uphold the the law of God, again, it contradicts the Bible. A prophet's message must be in harmony with the word of God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Page 661. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. My friends, you can't have somebody as God's mouthpiece turn around and say, you don't have to obey God's law. I see some people smirking. That goes on from far too many pulpits in the Christian church today. Someone cannot represent God on one hand and stab God in the back on the other. Anyone with a genuine gift of prophecy will uphold the law of God. Period. If I were to tell you that you could break the laws of the land. When you leave here, speed. Run all the stop signs and all the red lights. Would you believe me? (laughs) No. But every single day, there are Christian ministers who tell their congregations that God's law doesn't matter anymore. And we buy that. It doesn't seem right, does it? My friends, head for the doors if you hear that. My friends, the love of God leads you to obey God. Love for God welcomes Christ into your life. He will work in both to your, His will and to do according to His good pleasure. A true prophet also exalts Jesus. In fact... The genuine gift of prophecy exalts Jesus Christ, amen? It's his gift. Let's look at a clear passage of scripture. Turn to John, or I'm sorry, 1 John, chapter four. Page 1170. 1 John, chapter four, verse one and two. The apostle John goes right to the heart about true and false prophets, doesn't he? Beloved, do not believe every spirit What is he saying? Test. But test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John's saying there's already false prophets out in the world in his time. And we're told that there was going to be more as we got closer to the end. Are we closer to the end than when John was? Yeah, absolutely. My friends, God is saying don't be gullible. Don't be deceived. God says there are many false prophets out in the world. Continues, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. The Apostle John says, true gift will exalt Jesus. The gift of prophecy leads people to Jesus. You can see the true gift of prophecy. According to the Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 19. We were there earlier. Page 1187. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. I'm going to read it again. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A true prophet of God testifies of Jesus, exalts Jesus. My friends, John the Baptist testified of Jesus. In fact, he said, I must decrease. He says, he must increase, so I must decrease. Now that is someone who's not exalting themselves. In fact, he, what was he doing? He was driving people away from him to Jesus. He said, go, go follow him. He's Messiah. He's who I've spoke of. The genuine gift of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The true prophet will bear witness for Jesus and of Jesus. Another test of a true prophet, commandment keeping. The prophets of the Bible, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they were raised up at times when men and women had wandered away from God's law. They were breaking God's commandments. These prophets were sent to call them, people back to obedience, to call them back to faithfulness. They called for a return to God's commandments. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8 again. Same one. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. As I said before, if this so-called prophet is not leading you back to the commandments of God, if they do not lead you to obedience, they are false prophets. Fifth test, physical tests. This involves the physical phenomenon associated with the gift of prophecy in the Bible. Three physical criteria distinguish this genuine gift. First of all, Prophets will experience visions with their eyes open. Their eyes will remain open throughout the vision. We see this in Numbers chapter 24. Next, in vision, they will have no physical strength. In fact, we talked about this earlier in the prophecy of Daniel. Remember, when his strength had left him? It's in Daniel chapter 10, verse 8. And number 3, also in Daniel chapter 10, prophets in vision do not breathe. So when a prophet goes into vision... The characteristics, the physical characteristics of that vision are the eyes are open. The prophet does not have physical strength, and they can't breathe, or they don't breathe. Why doesn't the prophet breathe? Why doesn't the prophet breathe? Because all Scripture is breathed, inspired by God. Breathed. Breathed. You see, the word inspired actually means God breathed. God is the sustaining life of the biblical prophet. God maintains that prophet during vision. And the sixth test. Spiritual fruit in life. Spiritual fruitage. The genuine gift of prophecy. As I said, is given to God's church. My friends, God doesn't raise up a lone prophet here and then another one there. God places the gift of prophecy in his church to bear spiritual fruit in the life of the believers and also to breathe life into the church. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, page 941. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. Jesus himself, therefore by their fruits you will know them. Jesus says, you'll know, you'll see, you'll know who they really are by their fruits. If God has a church on earth today, and if God raises up a Christ-centered, cross-preaching, grace-filled, Bible-believing, Sabbath-keeping, Seventh-day Adventist people, and if God does that, would he restore to that group prophetic visions and dreams? According to his word, he would, right? All gifts. The gift of prophecy does not take the place of the Bible. It exalts it. This is very important. Prophetic visions and dreams that are accurate. Prophetic visions and dreams that take you back to the Bible. Prophetic visions and dreams that exalt Jesus. Prophetic visions and dreams that meet the physical tests and also have spiritual fruitage. Let's see what God says about his last day church in Revelation's message to those end time people. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, I read it earlier. And the dragon was enraged with a woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, this verse is part of a brief history of the church before Christ's time to the time of the end. Chapter 12 predicts that the church would be persecuted during a 1,260-year period, and that the church would then flourish again at the end of time. And then verse 17 identifies those two characteristics of God's last day people. Remember, they keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus. John plainly tells us. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So according to the word of God, God's last day people, his last divine movement on earth, God's Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Sabbath-keeping people must have the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is placed in the church in fact, let's see what Paul says in Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1107. Verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets. Notice that? Second prophets. They had the word of God. And yet, the spirit of prophecy still was important in that day. Remember, Jesus said, beware of false prophets. He didn't say, beware of all prophets. He said there would be true prophets of God in the church. My friends, God gave Noah the spirit of prophecy. Why? To warn the inhabitants of earth that there was trouble coming and that they needed to get ready for the calamity that was coming just around the corner. God raised another prophet named John the Baptist. Why? Because God was getting ready to send something. Not a flood this time, but he was ready to send his own son, the Messiah. And God wanted people to be ready for that great event. He wanted them to be ready for the glorious appearing of Messiah. You see, my friends, when God is preparing to do something big, God sends the gift of prophecy. Sends a message, a messenger. He wants to guide his people. He wants to draw his people to him. He wants to lead his people in true worship, especially when he has something important coming. He will raise up the gift of prophecy and speak and be heard. The gift of prophecy would urge people to be faithful. It would call people to the word of God. It would encourage people to surrender to Jesus. That's what the gift of prophecy is all about. Turn to Amos chapter 3. Page 889. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. You see, my friends, God's not going to just whip some surprise on us. He's going to send us a warning. He's going to send us a message. He's going to send us a call. God said the remnant in the last days are going to see this gift in action. The remnant will have the gift of prophecy. If we believe that we have found God's church, it must have the biblical gift of prophecy. If it does not, it can't possibly be the true church. Because the Bible predicts the true church will have this gift. The Bible teaches that Jesus himself would bless his last day church with the gift of prophecy. My friends, God has a Christ-centered, Bible-based, Sabbath-keeping Adventist church on earth today. And here's the question. Has God blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church with the gift of prophecy? Because if he hasn't, then we need to keep looking for the bride of Christ as described in Revelation chapter 12, amen? The church would be behind in no gift. This church would be faithful to his word. God himself will place the gift of prophecy in his last day, Sabbath-keeping Adventist people. Well, my friends, God took a young woman, the weakest of the weak, with only a third-grade education, and he blessed her with prophetic visions and dreams. You see, this young woman was very sickly, but her mind and heart were open to God. Seventh-day Adventists believe that God gave her the gift of prophecy. Her name was Ellen Gould White. You'll hear her referred to as Ellen G. White. God gave her more than 2,000 prophetic visions and dreams. She wrote over 50 books. She lectured to thousands on three continents. The last days of Ellen White's life were spent in California. When George Wharton James was writing the history of that state, when he was writing the history of California, in his book called California, the romantic, and the beautiful. He commented on this simple, humble, godly, spiritual woman on page 319. Quote, this remarkable woman, though almost entirely self-educated, has written and published more books in more languages, which circulate to the greater extent than any other woman in history. Now, my friends, this is quite remarkable for a woman who was sick in her early years, in her youth. Quite amazing for anyone with only a third grade education. I know there are many people, some of you maybe have a question about the gift of prophecy. Does the gift of prophecy replace the Bible? For example, do Seventh-day Adventists accept the writings of Ellen White on par with the Bible? You will hear that if you go out into the world. You guys follow this woman over the Bible. My friends, Seventh-day Adventists believe in the Bible, and in the Bible as the only source of every Bible doctrine. Every teaching of the Adventist church comes directly out of the Bible. Now, here's a little tidbit for you if you haven't gathered it in 23 messages. We also believe... And every part of the Bible. Not the parts that we like and don't like. Remember that discussion? We don't drop the portions of the Bible that God says will restore prophetic visions to the church. We believe that God will restore the gift of prophecy in his end time church because the Bible says it. Not because we want a prophet, because God said he would. even when that prophetic message may rebuke us for some cherished sin. My friends, the only thing an honest-hearted man or woman can do before dismissing someone who claims to have the gift of prophecy is to examine the individual's claims. Test them with the Bible. Let's apply these biblical tests of a true prophet to Ellen White. If this person meets the biblical test of, as a messenger of the Lord, we should accept them as a genuine voice of God, amen? If they do not, rule them out. Don't follow. How does Ellen White line up to these six tests? What about accuracy? What areas did Ellen White write in and were those areas accurate? One of the six. Subjects that she wrote extensively on was health. Back in the 1800s where she lived and wrote, people had no idea that sugar and fat contributed to coronary heart disease. At this time, Ellen White wrote about a diet of whole grains, fruits, nuts, and vegetables. The Bible diet. The very diet that the American Heart Association has now recommended. She was writing about that in the 1800s. This diet is also referred to as an anti-cancer diet. Scientific researchers have concluded that a diet rich in fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables prevent cancer. She wrote about that in the 1800s. A man named Clive McKay of Cornell University said, quote, This woman is 100 years ahead of her time in the area of diet. Here it is. Clive McKay. Whatever may be the religious belief of a reader, he or she cannot help but gain much guidance in a better and healthier way of life from reading the major works of Ellen G. White. Every modern specialist in nutrition whose life is dedicated to human welfare must be impressed by the writings and leadership of Ellen G. White. Guy says, I don't care what your religion is. She's ahead of her time in diet and health. Remember third grade education. Things that this Christian woman has said and written have led thousands upon thousands of people into a loving relationship with Jesus have caused people to flee to the Bible and to cling to it as their rule of faith and practice. My friends, that's what the gift of prophecy is meant to do. Back in the 1800s, she wrote The Ministry of Healing On page 327, she wrote, tobacco is a slow, insidious, but most malignant poison. Now, when she wrote this, doctors were recommending cigars to their patients. They also believed that inhaling tobacco smoke would cleanse your lungs. How's that worked out? My friends, that was in the 1800s. Ellen White wrote that tobacco was a malignant poison long before any scientific evidence even suggested it. And Today, though, we know that smoking causes cancer and a host of other diseases. In fact, no researcher today would ever argue with what Mrs. White wrote or said on this subject. What about biblical faithfulness? What did she herself say? My friends, if you want to evaluate someone's writings Go to their writings. You don't go to what someone else said about somebody else's writings. You don't go and say, what did she say about this? You go to see what she said or what she wrote. You don't go to some web page written by critics who have prejudged their conclusions without even ever reading someone's writings. My friends, I don't want anybody <laughs> criticizing me on something I've said, third hand. She wrote in the book, The Great Controversy, page 204. In our time, there was a wide departure from their doctrines and precepts, and there is need of a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible and the Bible only, as the rule of faith and duty. My friends, can you agree with that statement today? Amen. Amen. She said, we need to return to the Bible. The true gift of prophecy leads people back to the Bible. My friends, Seventh-day Adventists do not believe in any way that Ellen White's writings take the place of the Bible. They do not believe that her writings are another Bible. You'll hear that one sometimes. They do believe that God graciously gave the church the gift of the Holy Spirit in vision and in dreams to guide God's people in the end of time. In fact, Ellen White herself wrote, test everything I have ever written with the Bible. If it disagrees with the Bible, do not follow me. She said the Bible and the Bible only. The true gift of Bible of uh, Spirit of Prophecy exalts Jesus Christ. Did Ellen White exalt Jesus Christ? Well, let's see what she herself said in a book called Gospel Workers, page 160. She says, lift up Jesus, you that teach the people. Lift him up in sermon, in song, and in prayer. Let all your powers be directed to pointing souls, confused, bewildered, lost to the Lamb of God. In fact, Mrs. White wrote, every sermon ever preached should be wrapped in the gospel of Jesus. She said, if you don't have the gospel of Jesus in your sermon, it wasn't a very good sermon. Ellen White's writings are full of emphasis on Jesus Christ. She points out again and again that we are saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. She wrote a book called The Desire of Ages. on the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's regarded as the most complete book on the life of Jesus Christ ever written. And you can have a copy when you leave today. She wrote Christ object lessons on the parables of Christ. She wrote a book called Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing, which focused on the teachings of Christ on the Mount. She wrote Steps to Christ on how to get to know Jesus, how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Again. I'll offer you a copy of that when you leave. Who has heard the saying that the proof of the pudding is in the eating? My friends, rather than read the critics, get the book, Desire of Ages. Prayerfully read it and tell me if the Spirit doesn't speak to your heart. The Desire of Ages, as I said, is referred to as one of the single most complete books ever written on the life of Christ. Ellen White fulfills the biblical test. Her writings exalt Jesus as Lord and Savior. This brings us to the fourth test, commandment keeping. At a time of rebellion, the biblical prophets will lead people back to commandment keeping. The prophets do not manufacture something that's not in the Bible. They do not contradict the prophets who came before them. Ellen White leads us back to obedience of God. She exalts the law of God, and she points out the significance of the seventh-day Sabbath. She urges people to study their Bibles. And as Jesus did, she said, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. The modern gift of prophecy meets the test of accuracy. It meets the test of faithfulness. It meets the test of exalting Jesus. It leads us back to commandment-keeping. What about the physical tests? Remember one of those physical tests is that prophets don't breathe in vision. There was a man named Dr. Drummond. He was a skeptic. He didn't buy it. He said, I cannot accept visions and dreams from any woman. I reject them. Obviously, he hadn't read his Bible. He says, I know based on Daniel, the 10th chapter, that you are not supposed to breathe in vision. So I'm going to examine her in vision. You can read online the medical account of Dr. Drummond. When he examined Ellen White in vision, he said, quote, she does not breathe. He says, this is an unusual phenomenon. And as of that day, Drummond himself became a believer in God's work through visions and dreams. During her vision, she didn't breathe, and her eyes were wide open. What about spiritual fruitage? Would the church need the gift of prophecy today? Ellen White wrote a book called Education. And in it, she said that Seventh-day Adventists, Bible-believing Christians, should establish schools around the world so that Adventist young people could be educated in bringing the gospel to the world. What is spiritual fruitage? The largest Protestant educational system in the world. Over a million students attend its thousands of schools around the world. Over 13 million outpatients visit, 785 hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, dispensaries, children's facilities, airplane and medical launches operated by the church each year. My friends, the Adventist church has more hospitals than every other church except the Catholic church. And they've got a billion members. What is the fruitage? Of her gift of prophecy in her writings? Hospitals around the world. My friends, Ellen White's writings do not deal with bizarre events, they do not deal with wild eyed fanaticism. They have changed the world for the better. These are visions and dreams to guide God's people so that the church can move forward around the world. Seventh-day Adventists today have a modern mission movement that spans the entire globe. I have taught you in 22 out of 23 messages, strictly from the Bible. I didn't have to mention one of her writings, did I? taught from the Bible, and the Bible only, that the Bible is the rule of faith, that is the practice for the believer, that there's no question that the Bible should rule the Christian's life. My friends, Ellen White was very clear that her role was to point people back to the Bible, back to Jesus, the star of the Bible. Ellen White herself urged us all to test her writings. With the Bible. Many years ago, there was a man, a young man in Africa by the name of Sekuba. It's a well documented story. You can look it online. He went to bed one night and he said, Oh, big God of the stars. Oh, big God, I feel empty in my heart. Oh, big God, take me to a place where I can learn your truth. That night in 1953, an angel descended from heaven and visited the hut and said, Follow me. Sekiba began to walk. He traveled through the African grasslands, through the desert, and the angel told Sekiba he would guide him to the people of the book. Sekiba responded, I can't read a book. The angel replied, You will be taught how to read. You will know they are the people of the book because they will have a black book. But they will also have four books that are really nine. Succubus continued walking. He walked at night for two weeks. He finally came to the edge of, a, of the jungles and he finds a Christian mission. And they had a black book, but they didn't have the four that were really nine. The angel told him to find Pastor Moyo and the Sabbath-keeping people. So Secuba continued to walk and walk and walk. He walked through the fields. He walked through the jungles. And then one day he came come upon a little Seventh-day Adventist mission. And he asked, is Pastor Moyo here? So Pastor Moyo came out. And Secuba said, I have been guided by God to you. My whole tribe does not know anything about the big Papa God of the heaven. Nothing about him. I've been led to you. Do you have the book? Pastor Moyo went into his hut, came back out, and showed him a well-worn black Bible. Secuba said, that is the book I saw in vision. Do you believe this book? Pastor Moyo said, we believe in Christ of this book and the commandments of this book and the Sabbath of this book. Secubus said, where are the four books that are really nine? Moyes said, I have those books too. You see, Ellen White wrote nine volumes to the church of God's power to change God's lives or people's lives. They were called testimonies to the church. They were testimonies of councils on Christian living and godliness. They were bound in four volumes. Pastor Moya says, are these the books you're referring to? Secuba responded, yes, they are. I have found God's people. And after weeks and months of instruction, Secuba returned to his own people, and cha- a changed man, bringing the gospel to his remote village. He didn't know how to read. Now he's teaching. Accepted as part of God's family, Secubo was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he went back as a missionary to his tribe. And almost the entire tribe accepted Jesus and the Bible truths like you've been hearing throughout this lecture series. And you say, well, that's a great story, Dan. How could anybody find God by reading a book? That's not the Bible. How can reading a book bring you to Christ? How could re- reading a book written by someone with a third grade education cause transformation in your life? I'll tell you how. I'm in this church because of this book. This book called The Great Controversy. I was not, as I told you several nights, I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist. In fact, I'm a latecomer compared to many. One night, I happened upon this book. And I read the book in one night. That's a whole other story. And it was so interesting. It touched my heart so much. I read it again the next night, cover to cover. The next Sabbath, my family came to this church we've been Sabbath-keeping Christians ever since. Say, how can one book bring somebody to the church? This one brought me to the church. But it brought me more to Christ. My friends, God put the writings of the spirit of prophecy in my path because he knew that's what I needed to see at that time. This book directed me to this book. I didn't get that book to replace this. It was a vehicle to come back to this book. It brought me to Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, when men and women are honest-hearted, God will lead you. The Bible says that in the last days, God will have a special people. He promises to give his special people a special gift from Jesus called the Spirit of Prophecy not to take the place of the Bible ever, not to have the authority of the Bible, never, not to take the place of Jesus Christ, never, but as a special gift given by God to guide and direct his people to get to know Jesus better, to understand the word of God better. Today, thousands of honest-hearted people are saying, Lord, Thank you for leading me to understand and know God's truth. Because God still leads. In your heart today, you can say, praise God that he still leads. That he's still calling. That he's still pouring out his gifts into his church. My friends, you can say to God today, thank you, Jesus, for your guidance. Thank you for leading me to your people. Thank you for guiding my life. Thank you for leading me to a people of the book. Friends, please stand with me. We've been together now for 23 meetings. We have covered the Bible, prophecy, the law, the Sabbath, the mark of the beast, death, all of the difficult parts of the Bible that many, many, many preachers don't want to talk about. Or if they do, they talk about them really fast. We've spent entire sessions on difficult topics. I've answered your questions, all from the Bible. My friends, this is not about me. My job was to bring you to the Bible. Did we do that in 23 meetings? Amen. My job was to point you to Jesus. To listen to the Holy Spirit. You came to these meetings For a reason. And as I said many nights, it wasn't because of my ugly picture on a flyer. It was because Jesus wanted you to come here. As I said, and we proved, most of you never heard of me. That's the glory of the gospel. It doesn't need celebrity. It doesn't need celebrity. In fact, be nervous of celebrity. Truth is truth no matter who shares it with you. Trust the Bible. But I want you to give an honest chance on the spirit of prophecy. We're going to offer you some books. They don't cost anything. If you don't like them, throw them away or give them to somebody else. It's it's nothing off my back, the church's back. We offer them as gifts. Test them with the Bible. I promise you, if you come to them with an open heart and if you pray to God, they will lead you to Jesus. And Jesus will transform your life. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear glorious Father in heaven, Lord, once again, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to spend 23 glorious meetings together with you in freedom and in liberty, and most of all, immersed in your truth. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet these dear souls, these new friends in Christ that you've put in our path. Some have asked for baptism, Lord, and some are thinking about baptism. And I just ask you to please continue to send your Holy Spirit to them, to strengthen them, to lift them up, to empower them. Help them to ward off the enemy with truth, with the Word of God. Because the Word of God is stronger than any sword known to man. Lord, I ask you now, as we close these meetings, that you continue to speak to these dear souls. You continue to draw them into your Holy Spirit. And most of all, you bring them in to your holy family. Lord, I ask you now to please keep us all safe. Go before us, not only protect our past, but give us opportunity to share what we've learned with others so that they too can get to know you. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' precious name, amen. I wanna remind you,